in the downtown then today we have the director of communications for liverpool city council uh, camilla mackabardi who is uh, delighted to say uh, joining us for the first conversation with downtown members directly although i've had the pleasure of seeing her present at, uh, at an event in mipping last year uh, when she'd actually not long taken up the post so welcome camilla lovely to see you lovely to see you frank i wish we were in the same room and i wish everyone who was watching we were all in the same room together but you know thank goodness we've got technology so um really happy to be with you guys really lovely to see you yeah. well absolutely it'd be nice to uh, to get a live event with you in the not too distant future and of course before lockdown we had something planned and uh, we, we'd had a tremendously positive response uh, as you would expect uh, when we get somebody of your caliber in a room but the thing that lots of people are interested in i'm sure you'll understand why it is this fabulous career journey that you've been on before you got to our city uh, so tell us about you know your pathway uh, as far as that marketing journalistic career is, is being concerned because it's fascinating in terms of some of the things that you've done and leads up to working in liverpool Oh, well, thanks ever so much, Frank. That's really nice of you to say. Well, you know what? I might surprise a lot of you, but I am actually a Scouser. So um, this is all about me coming home, to be honest. Um, so you can probably tell from my name, it's, it's quite an unusual name. So I'm actually half Danish, half Egyptian. And I always say to my boss, so there's me and my brother, and I always say there's only two Danish Egyptian Scousers in town. And, and that's, that's what we're all about. You know what, there's a lot of uh, cliches when you think about Liverpool and Scousers, but you know, mum and dad chose Liverpool as their home and we've been welcomed, you know, so ever since they moved here in the 60s, we've just adored the place and it, you know, I think when you move somewhere and you decide to, to live in that city, you actually develop these really, really strong bonds um, and so look absolutely passionate about the city. And for me, you know, whatever I did with my career, there was always a little bit of me that wanted to come back to the city that was so great and so important to us all and that was always always something I wanted to do and was never quite sure how it was going to happen so I guess to sort of go back to your original question Frank I guess I'm really nosy and I love people um, so you know things like news and, and communications and journalism was just something that I was always going to do um, so I went off to university and um, studied English literature which I think gives you a really really um, a great opportunity to kind of open your eyes to stuff and it, it just gives you that kind of that leverage to do quite a lot with it um, and then I sort of realized I needed to actually get some really good practical skills because at that point I decided that broadcast journalism was where I wanted to go and I think a lot of people who don't work in radio or television don't understand that it's actually really quite a technical job um, so there's a lot of kind of software and there's a lot of stuff that you've got to get your head around um, so I actually went off and did a postgrad in broadcast journalism, where you actually learn those hands-on skills, you know, how do you present yourself in front of a camera, how do you deal with a mic, um, back in those days we didn't have mobile phones, so it was all about shorthand, um, it was understanding local government, which obviously now in, in this phase of my life is so key to what I do, um, and also um, understanding the law and the legality around media, um, you know, a lot of people, again, don't really understand that in Britain, we've got some of the really the most stringent laws um, when you are allowed to broadcast something when you're not and when you're allowed to print something and not. So we have got a really quite a good framework in, in our nation for all of that. So I then sort of started off in radio. Um, so probably a few stations that you'll have heard of, um, LBC, which is now a national station. 
um, back in the day that was um, a London station and I loved it really cut my teeth into speech journalism and understanding that, that stories have got a currency and if you don't hit that story when everyone's talking about it you've lost it you've lost that curve no one's interested um, there was also a, a talk radio station that was called News Direct um, and it was a bit like Five Live actually it was one of those which was pretty much just news and sport um, and you had updates every 15 minutes and it, it was it was just a really great way to, to find my teeth um, I've done a few stints at um, Radio Merseyside on, on a work placement back in the day um, and up in the northeast of the country as well and and also in York which is where I'd studied um, and then there was a little bit of me that thought you know I love radio but I want to get into telly um, I'll just do it for a year or so and then obviously 20 odd years later, that was where I was. Um, and you know, I, I feel sort of blessed with what I've achieved and um, there was some really, really great support along the way. So I spent a lot of time at the BBC and um, if you're a broadcast journalist, uh, that's kind of where you want to be. You know, it's a really, really great place to work. Um, and I'm very proud to say that I kind of moved around the organization and moved around the newsroom. Um, and the last role that I held at the BBC was program editor for the BBC's 10 o'clock news. Um, which was an absolute thrill. You know, it, it's this program that I know a lot of you who are listening to this and watching this today will watch. It is that kind of moment when you sit down, you might have a, a glass of wine or a cup of tea, and that's where you get the day's news. Um, and, and to actually be in charge of that and curate what the nation was going to see was, was obviously something that um, I took really, really seriously. And it was, it was a really a tough gig but a really really great gig and and just the people I met and the stories I kind of worked on were absolutely fabulous and um, at the BBC I was also the program editor for the BBC's one o'clock news and and also for the six o'clock news on BBC one so um, worked across the three main bulletins um, and then I really had a, an exciting move to ITV um, and that's quite an unusual way to go a lot of people start off in the commercial sector and then move over to the BBC and I kind of did it the other way around and um, it was just an opportunity for me to try something very very different and, and if you watch BBC News and ITV News you'll know that's a real different flavour um, and I, I keep sort of saying to people it was actually the sort of the same job but almost like a different language so I had to kind of really really change my approach and the stories that I would normally have chosen and run with on the BBC were often stories that were never going to fly at ITV because it was a very different agenda um, and I'm really proud to say that I'm the only person who's been the program editor of the BBC's 10 o'clock news and ITV's news at 10. Um, and so, you know, it was, it was a, a great joy and a great privilege. And I, I met some brilliant people along the way. And I think it shaped me as an individual as well, because you, you learn a lot and you, you see a lot. And it's, it's quite hard work, obviously, as you can imagine. Um, I then went off and spent a bit of time with um, Euronews, which is... Um, Europe's most watched um, channel, news channel. It's, it's not so known in Britain, but it's, um, it's a big deal in Europe and they specialize a lot in kind of EU parliament stuff, which was something I didn't really know a great deal about. And I really wanted to understand and learn that. And for me, what was really exciting was we also worked with NBC, which is America's biggest network. And for me, it was an absolute joy to work with some of the great American journalists. So that was another really, really exciting moment in my life. And then I got the call. I got the kind of sense that there was, there was a gig in Liverpool. And as I said to you at the very start, there was always something about, you know, there's a little bit, bit of me that's still at home and still in, in Scouseland, as I like to call it. And um, I got um, told about this great new position that was being set up in Liverpool. 
um, and I went through all the processes of interviews and, and chats. Um, I got to meet Mayor Anderson and I got to meet our chief executive, Tony Reeves, and I got to meet some other really, really great characters like Claire McColgan, who's our director of culture. And um, as they say, cut a long story short, they thankfully gave me the gig. And so 18 months later, I've enjoyed every minute of being the comms director for Liverpool City Council. So it's, it's a really kind of, I think, lots of links and lots of similarities with all the different roles that I've had. Um, and all of that experience that I've, I've gained over the years, I bring in with me to work every day. And as I said earlier, we're delighted to have you with such a wealth of experience and no doubt fabulous connections that we're taking advantage of as well. But before we get under the bonnet of your current role, I mean, you've talked about a very diverse and fascinating uh, range of experiences there, Camilla. And, you know, we've watched over the last few months, haven't we, how the BBC in particular have had to have a look at what they're doing. They're under great pressure financially. I don't think that they've been uh, particularly uh, well served in recent years in terms of at least the perception of whether they've been able to maintain that balance and that independence that they're known worldwide for. And it, it was funny, actually, I was watching, um, as you do during lockdown, you watch all sorts of documentaries and, and, and you reminisce about things of days gone by. And there was a documentary about Live Aid and it was uh, the first sort of conversation that they had about having a global broadcast there was only one company that were even considered and it was the bbc and okay listen it was 30 odd years ago so some people would say that's a long time it seems like yesterday to me but i wonder what your feelings are camilla about where the bbc is now and also given the fact that you did do some work at radio merseyside the impact that the changes are going to have on local and regional news which are concerning for me, I have to I have to say. So just wondered if I could get your thoughts on that. Absolutely. Um, I think the BBC is in one of those places, isn't it, Frank, where we've all got an opinion and sometimes our opinions aren't that flattering. And I think if we kind of take our own sort of personal perspective away from that, I think the BBC is there for good, isn't it? It's, it's a really important institution. It's one of our crown jewels. You know, you think of Britain and you think of the BBC, don't you? They kind of go hand in hand. I don't think it's in the in the best of health right now um, and I'm speaking you know of my own own personal opinion clearly this is not um, an opinion of LCC in any regard um, I think things have changed obviously the the media landscape has changed so much hasn't it over the last few years I mean when I joined the BBC in the mid 90s it was the key organization it was the key broadcaster wasn't it and now we've got the likes of Netflix, we've got Amazon, we've got Disney, everyone's stepping into that world. We've got social media. Social media wasn't a thing. When I started journalism, none of us had mobile phones. So you can see how the world has changed in a really relatively short space of time. I think the license fee is proving very controversial for a lot of people, isn't it? Um, and I, I know that the outgoing DG, Lord Hall, you know, he's obviously brought in a, a different guidance on that, which is leading to some very huge financial difficulties for the organisation. I think there are some out there who could argue that there was duplication within the BBC. I know the newsroom, that's, that's what I know. Um, and there was duplication in the newsroom. When I went to ITV, it was a much leaner, fitter machine. And that was simply because the budget was much smaller. 
So you had to be really, really clear. You know, if you were going to do a story out of New York or out of Washington or out of Moscow, that would mean you couldn't do a story somewhere else because you had a certain amount of money that you could spend and you had a certain amount of logistics, camera people that you could go and send on those stories. The BBC, you know, has been in a very blessed position up to now where they have almost had bureau in every key city and every major nation in our world. So they've always had that choice. They've had that reach. I think for a lot of my former colleagues and friends who, who still work for the organisation, they're going through very difficult times. And I think uh, um, it's not only the financial issues that they're all now facing up to and are having to do things differently. We've all seen the, the job losses that have been announced at the BBC recently, and none of us see that with any joy. That's, that's a really difficult thing for us as a society. And, and I think we should explore that in a, in a minute as well, Frank, because I think that's really important for all of us. Um, I think the other things that we are living in a very, very different landscape now. And I think the Brexit referendum was a moment when people started looking at the BBC and were saying, are you in this liberal Westminster media bubble? And I was always somebody that, you know, because my family were in Liverpool, I would always try and get up to the city every month. So I'd get the train from Euston up to Lime Street. And it is a different world. And some of that, some of those differences and those um, changes that you see when you come to the Northwest are wonderful. And that's what makes us us. And that what makes us so proud of being Scousers. But then there are some other things that you notice and you think that wouldn't happen in London. And I really do see that inequality. Um, and now in the role that I'm, I'm working, I mean, I'm not a, a political figure. Um, I'm a neutral officer within the organisation. But of course, I work closely with the politicians. And there really does seem to be a deepening north-south divide. Um, and I, I spend a lot of time in London as well. And that inequality, those divides are very, very sharp. I think that's another big issue that the BBC is dealing with. Um, they're also thinking about gender inequality. Um, and, you know, when I started at the BBC, there were men pretty much in every senior position. And that has very, very much changed now. But it hasn't been an easy process. And because everything is so invisible, it's either the radio or the TV, everybody's got an opinion on that. Um, and I know that the wages that some of the stars were getting has also been an issue. You know, race and equality and how diverse our national broadcaster is are also issues that are, are really concerning to the BBC. And I know that they are trying to change that and improve that. Changing the BBC is like changing the civil service. It's going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. And sadly for the BBC, I don't think they've got time on their side because I think people want change now and they're not seeing it as fast as they would like to. Um, and just picking up on your thoughts about um, cuts to local and regional journalism, Frank, and, and in particular, we know that some of the BBC radio stations are losing a lot of staff. I think that's a real tragedy. And I understand the financial issues that's driving those decisions. But for us, it's really important that we have a local voice. And I'm really concerned if that local voice disappears. Um, and, you know, we do need um, to be able to, to keep things on record and to hold people to account. And if there are fewer journalists doing that great work in our city or our region, we are all going to be poorer for that. And I think that's a real, real concern. And I think, you know, it's not just Liverpool or Merseyside that's seeing that. Lots of regions across the UK are noticing that now. And I think some of the local papers that we, you know, maybe we don't read as often as we used to, but when they're gone, they're gone. Um, and when you notice your local radio station is actually playing a lot of syndicated programmes that aren't local and rooted in your area, that's when you realise that you as an individual have lost a little bit of your voice. So I think it is a real concern. And I think 
sessions like this are really important to try and kind of um, speak about that and, and find other avenues to get our opinions and our conversations across. And I think technology is a really useful way in doing that, isn't it? And you've mentioned uh, a couple of times now, you know, the fact that mobile phones have changed the world, haven't they? Uh, and the immediacy with which stories are now broken and, of course, then need to be responded to. Um, and, of course, that puts uh, added pressure uh, onto people who are in the, the job that you're in. Uh, because, again, if I go back 20 years, um, OK, a story will break and then you might get a call from a journalist and often you'd say, okay, I'll give you a call back in the morning with a response because their paper wasn't due out until the next day and that was fine for them. Their deadline was, you know, the very, the very worst case scenario, you'd have to phone them back later that evening. That then gave you time to go and consider what your response was going to be, be briefed by the relevant officers or the people that were advising you. These days it's instantaneous. You know, the, the, the story breaks on social media, on Twitter, it's on Facebook. It can be all over the place within five minutes before you're even aware of the story, I guess. How challenging and, and what are the sort of processes that you have to have in place, Camilla, these days to be able to react to things like that? You're absolutely right, Frank. We haven't got those kind of, you know, the end of the working day anymore. It is a 24-7 kind of job and a story can break at any time. And, you know, over the last few weekends, you know, Saturday nights for me have been a write-off. Sunday mornings have been a write-off. Friday night have been a write-off. So I guess I'm sort of on a personal level, I'm really used to that because, you know, when I was in journalism, a story would break, you would react. Um, you know, I remember the, the horrific night when the Grenfell Tower um, started um, to be ablaze. That was in the early hours. I was awake because that's kind of how I live my life. I'm, I'm very much one of those people who's always listening to the radio and, and all that sort of stuff. So I'm sort of used to that kind of, you never really get much downtime. But for my team, that has really been um, quite a big thing to deal with. Um, so I've sort of turned the way we work very much into a newsroom way. And, and that basically means that we try and provide that 24 hour cover. Um, you know, we need to um, be able to respond as quickly as we possibly can. Um, so we have somebody who's on call seven days a week um, and they're on call during the day, during the evenings and, of course, at weekends. I've kind of always got my phone on. So, you know, if I'm you know, not in an area where there's no Wi-Fi, I'm always kind of looking at my phone. I'm always across things. We try and be really quick with a response. Um, I know what it's like if you're a journalist and you're working to a deadline. Um, nowadays, it isn't that kind of we're going to the printing presses deadline. Sometimes it's that, but more often it's like you say, we've got to get the article online as soon as possible, or it's a, a radio station that wants to announce that story ASAP. So we know we're working against the clock. Um, the team are great, actually. So, you know, if, for example, if I, if I receive a query now and a journalist wanted a response, um, I've got a team who deal with certain subject areas. So I would straight away go to that individual and say, we've got a query about your brief. Often than not, they probably know the answer and they probably know why that question's been asked. Um, and then what we would do is go and quickly confer with the portfolio holder. So often that would be Mayor Anderson um, or it could be Councillor Sharon Connor, who deals with our highways and, and regen. We would go to that person and say, look, we've had this query. This is an opposite perspective. It's what we think the answer is from a political position. You know, where are you at? Um, and that is how we produce a statement. Um, and then we'll obviously make sure that the journalist has got that. 
Um, what we're also doing now is if we see that there's a conversation happening online where we're not included, I'm saying to my team, let's get in there. Um, and sometimes it's to put our hands up and say, you know what, we get this and we know that you're not happy about this. And we, we're going to take that on board and we're going to do what we can to change that where possible. Sometimes it's us saying, oh, I know that you're really upset about X, but actually that's not the real story. This is why this thing's happening. And, you know, I think sometimes when people realise there's a real person behind that keyboard, um, they're often really charming. And, and you kind of deflate that kind of that, that situation that was, that was growing and growing and growing. And often you'll get people saying, oh, thank you so much. I just didn't know. I didn't know what that was all about. And I was getting a bit concerned. Sometimes you're not going to please people all of the time and, and you might end up sort of having a bit of a conversation with somebody and you've got to have broad shoulders in this job. Um, it's a very public facing job. And so everything that we produce as a comms team is out there and everybody's got the right to challenge that or disagree with us. You know, we live in a democracy. Um, so we get that feedback really, really quickly. And sometimes the feedback's proving, but you know what? You need to give yourself a little bit of time. You just need to think about, They've got a point there actually and we're going to take that on board um, for me there is nothing worse than actually doing something wrong or not listening to communities and still plowing that furrow you know if you if you're pulled up by somebody and it's if you're really genuine concern you need to react and i hope as, as an organization in liverpool we do that no one's going to get it right every time they're just not and i think you know the the role that, that you guys play Obviously, you do you do that media uh, FaceTime, and you're responsible, as you say, to react to any stories that are breaking as far as they're concerned, and then you've got to liaise with politicians and so on. But of course, in recent months, it's been incredibly important for you to step up in terms of your own public broadcasting responsibilities, in a sense, because the messaging around the coronavirus crisis has had to be as clear as it possibly can be. We may come back to whether or not we've had that sort of consistency of approach from national government. But what I'd like to say, Camilla, and certainly the feedback that I've had from the business community in Liverpool, is that the city council's response has been exceptional. You know, it's been very clear. The guidelines have been as clear as you could like. They've been consistent. We've had regular updates and briefings from you and your team. So, so first of all, thanks for that. Um, but secondly, you know, again, we're all aware of the pressures that local authorities have had in recent years in terms of the austerity and the cuts that Liverpool uh, as city council have suffered. So that must have put a significant amount of pressure uh, on the people who work uh, with uh, uh, and for you. Yeah, it's been a tough time. I think it really has. And I know lockdown has been really hard for for everyone, hasn't it? No one's got away from with this scot-free. It's been challenging for all of us in different ways. I think for us as communicators, it's been a tough gig actually. And um, this is the moment where you've, you've got to step up. And I managed to get a little bit of downtime a couple of weeks ago, but that was the first day off I'd had in months. And, you know, I'm not saying that as a sob story. I'm sort of saying that as the reality, you know, we were dealing with a really, really critical situation and our messages were life and death actually. You know, you can't get as any more intense as that and as you say Frank you know we are uh, an organization that has faced austerity for 10 years um, my comms team is actually the smallest comms team out of all of the core cities um, and you know take myself out of it my guys punch way above their weight and I'm so proud of every single one of them 
so for us we all knew that we needed to deliver it really really mattered to us and it's been an interesting process for me it's been the very first big story that i've really dealt with um, on a regional basis so liverpool city council has worked very closely with the merseyside resilience forum and for, for those of you who don't really know what that means that basically means that all of the authorities from across the region work with the police and the fire service and the health authorities and we bring together this coordinated approach and that was the approach that we took with our comms as well. Um, you know, my comms is no good to anybody if it's not getting on as many platforms as possible because it's not a vanity project for me or my team. It is important messages that we want people in our city and region to read and, and understand. Um, so we did a lot of collaborative and shared thinking, which I think is really important. I think it's so important for our city. And we're probably going to pick up maybe on some of the economic issues that we've got down the tracks, Frank, because I know you're deeply concerned about that. So for us, it's about, you know, we've got to speak with one voice in our city. If we don't, then we're going to fall apart. It's as simple as that. So I've made some really great friends, actually, in different organisations, everybody from Older Hay to, to councils like Wirral, etc. We've all worked together as one. I thought it was really important to um, offer a, a very neutral sounding voice, because I know that sometimes people may not choose to follow social media from a council because they think, oh, it's political or it's sin. I'm not quite sure the origins of this. So we set up these COVID feeds. Um, so we set up the COVID Facebook site and we set up the COVID Twitter site. And I went to all of my colleagues across the region and said, look, are you okay if we do this? And what we'll do is we'll share everyone's content. And everyone was like, yeah, absolutely. And so on that, you saw some really good um, messages about our changing infrastructure or the health services that we were providing or services that were changing, adapting, et cetera. And that became a really, really useful forum. But, you know, it was it was it was hard, Frank, you know, um, it was it was a difficult time for the politicians and difficult time for the officers and a difficult time for us as communicators. Um, and for me, it was all about trying to get the messages out there as fast as possible and as simply as possible. Um, but there's a lot of people in the chain. So I've got a really great social media colleague who, who obviously produces all the copy. We've got some great designers who produce the animations and the GIFs and the stop motion stuff. Um, we've got some brilliant videographers um, and we've obviously got some great officers who deal with the press and those who deal with other stakeholders and so we all had to work together and we were all in different houses in different parts of the city um, so we had to get to, uh, to, to grips with all that technology and we had to get to grips with a bit of a protocol as well because you know back in the old days when we could sit together as a group we'd sit in my office and we'd have these really quite lively feisty news gathering meetings every day to discuss what was our agenda where were we headed you can't really do that on zoom because if everyone's chatting at the same time you can't really understand each other so i came up with a, a new way of, of kind of managing the team so um we had one person who was in charge of the kind of dealing with the press that day somebody else who was in charge with the internal coverage employees in liverpool city council so those are five thousand ambassadors who are really key to what we do and they help spread our messages. So there was lots of kind of admin stuff I was doing behind the scenes just to make sure all of that worked. Um, and as I said, we, we try and keep that coverage going seven days a week. So it's kind of working out, you know, you might have a really big spike of a story, but you can't put all your staff on that one day because you'll need somebody to be working on the Sunday or the next Tuesday. So there's a little bit of process and admin that needed to happen behind the scenes. As I say, I think that the job that you and your team had, as you say, the other emergency services, public services, 
within the city and the city region have done remarkably well. Uh, and you know, my personal point of view is that the messaging from government has been modelled, uh, and actually, what's happened at a local and regional level has greatly assisted us in terms of tackling what has been. Uh, I hate the word because it's overused, but unprecedented uh, is certainly, uh, uh, as I say, something that uh, we welcome as a business community in terms of the efforts that, that you guys have made. Just let me turn now then to uh, the impact that this is going to have, because uh, again, another element uh, of what you and your team have to do is sell the city, uh, because that messaging is important, not just in terms of what we uh, think about ourselves and, and that's important because we've seen the self-confidence of Liverpool um, certainly improve during the last 10-15 years. We want to continue that momentum but of course increasingly we want to get the message out there that Liverpool has gone through a renaissance, it has been regenerated, we are a fast-growing city, we do have fantastic things which we want people to come and see and importantly to invest in uh, and of course uh, Camilla, I know that, that you and some of the senior executive team uh, have been in and out of the uh, offices in the city centre. So like me, uh, you will be at this moment in time going into a place that feels rather eerie, a little bit strange, not uh, anything like the, the bus and bustle of, of, of what we usually experience in Liverpool. So listen, from a business leader's perspective, we need to get the city operating as quickly as we possibly can. Uh, of course, it's the balance then of the health arguments and the safety arguments and so on. What thinking is going on at the moment, Camilla, uh, at city council level, about how we can begin to encourage people back into their offices, back into the city? Because if that doesn't happen, then obviously the job losses are going to occur anyway, are going to be even worse. So have you had any, I'm sure you have had some, thoughts and ideas about how we go about that yeah it's a real tough balancing act isn't it frank we do want our city to get back to normal as quickly as possible but we all know it's going to take time and i hate that phrase what is the new normal but we don't know how things are going to pan out and i think we are looking at a very different city and i want us to be really positive and think about actually some of those differences could be real improvements so we've been basically um the initial phase that we were dealing with was the kind of you know getting through the, the COVID um, initial wave, the difficulties that that was bringing us. We are now in the recovery and resilience phase, which I think is a positive phase to be in. Um, and as an organization, we're leading from the front. Um, we have got some really great leadership. Um, our view is that we want a staggered and safe return to the city. Um, so if you look at Liverpool City Council itself, um, in July, we're asking 10% of the staff to return to their workplaces. We're then going to increase that in August to 20% and then in September it's going to be 50%. Um, and that is to just rebuild that confidence. There is a lot of concern out there and we know that the virus hasn't gone away. So we're kind of trying to balance all of that. I'm really proud actually to be part of the organisation. And again, I can say this really kind of publicly and, and confidently because, you know, I didn't have anything to do with it. I was in that lucky position where I could talk about it, but there were lots of other officers and politicians who were very, working very hard. We are doing things really, really well in Liverpool, and I don't want people to underestimate what we are doing as a city. So if you just think about some of the great things that we have done during this period, and let's just think about this period has been the toughest the city has ever faced. It's been a really, really tough few months. 
we at the moment have rehoused our rough sleepers and our homeless in our city. That is a huge thing. And we are a city that has led the way on that one. Um, you know, it's a real, real positive desire for the change, the positive change that we want to see as a result of COVID-19. So that is something that I think we should all be really proud of. We all know that, you know, public transport at the minute is going to be difficult for some of us. And um, we're really trying to encourage active travel. So again, we were one of the first local authorities that was out of the block to get the pop-up cycle lanes going. And we know it's not ideal. You know, we know that there are some detractors out there saying, they don't look great. You know, have these things been thought through? We needed to do something fast and we are listening to people's concerns and we will take those on board. But what we couldn't do was just sit and not do anything. Um, you all know, Frank, that there's been a lot of support for the business community. You know, as an organisation, as far as we could, we wanted these businesses to remain viable. Um, and so any grant money that we got from government, we wanted that to get out the door as quickly as possible. So people worked weekends and evenings and they were desperate to do that because they knew that every day counted for small enterprises in our city. So we knew, let's, let's give this money, let's help them out. If we can give them the money a little bit earlier than other organisations, we're going to do that because we need people to survive because if we don't have the, the small and medium-sized enterprises and we don't have a city and we were really conscious of that. Um, we've come up with the idea of without walls and I hope that all of you watching and listening today understand what that is. You know, some of our organisations in the city are far too small to allow social distancing. We've got some great cafes, bars, restaurants, that real indie dining scene that has developed and we all love. It just meant that you'd get one or two covers a night and it just wasn't possible. So we've come up with this plan about how do we take you outside? And again, we've tried to work with businesses. I know we haven't always got that right, but this is an organisation that is, is working within the difficulties that COVID has, has given us to try and do things differently. So I think for me, now is the time to think um, as a cohesive group. Um, let's put any kind of um, old issues we had to one side and let's all work together and kind of, we want our art scene to thrive. We want our businesses to thrive. We want to be in a city where there's less pollution and, and maybe fewer cars doing short journeys. How do we make that a vision? And, you know, it can't be driven just by the city council. It's got to be everybody coming up with ideas. So that's the kind of phase we're at at the minute. Um, so we're doing a lot of work with stakeholders, with, with yourself, Frank. I know that obviously you've been a very big voice in, in how we get businesses, you know, off their knees and, and back into, into a viable stage. And, we're there with some of them, we're not there with all of them yet. Um, but at the back of our minds, we are very concerned that a second wave might happen. At the moment, the infection rate is, is good in our city and our region. We are not at the risk that we were, um, but we know that's a possibility. So we are encouraging people to go and enjoy our great shops and our great restaurants, but we're really saying to people, don't forget the rules, please don't gather in big groups, please wash your hands, if you're going into a shop from the 24th or you're on public transport, make sure you're wearing a face covering. So we're just trying to keep that balance going. Um, and I've been doing like you've been doing, Frank, I've been wandering around the city and it's really sad, isn't it? Sometimes you go down a street and it's pretty empty um, and we want to see people getting back in there. Um, and I'd love all your support. So, you know, next month um, hitting as the start of August, we're going to be doing something called Holiday at Home. A lot of us aren't going to be going away. We've got a beautiful city. And for me, it's just about encouraging people just to go into town, have a wander around, look at the architecture, grab a coffee, go to one of our lovely parks, 
that in itself is going to restore confidence and make us start feeling a bit more normal. So we're working really closely with public health officials and our director of public health, Matt Ashton, just to kind of frame this messaging. We don't want to say the risk is gone because it hasn't, but we do need to get people back into the city centre and it's just finding the right way to do that. I have to say, I was in Liverpool yesterday, visited a couple of our wonderful hospitality restaurants and hotels and the amount of work uh, that those guys have done in terms of making sure that the environment is safe. Uh, you, you know, I, I actually have been saying to people, you're actually safer going into Liverpool now than you've ever been uh, because people are so safety conscious. And uh, as I say, listen, you know, we, we built an economy uh, on the hospitality sector, the visitor economy, the great cultural offers that we've got to uh, to offer people. And therefore, it's important that people do appreciate them. And perhaps, as you rightly say, Camilla, take this time to, to appreciate them a little bit more than they have been able to in the past. And uh, there's plenty to do and plenty to see in Liverpool, despite the lockdown. So in terms of this economic challenge that we face, and again, we've talked about the city council's difficulties and its own finances, let alone then having to turn its attention to trying to keep our business community going. Um, crucial thing for me is messaging, how we continue to, as I say, this impressive growth that we've enjoyed in recent times can as far as possible continue. And you and I have had this chat in the past. Liverpool has still got um, some reputational challenges, um, particularly in other parts of the UK, internationally, actually, if you say you're from Liverpool, it's a fantastic starting point for a conversation. Everybody talks about us positively abroad. We'd still need some work to be done in the UK. Uh, and again, I know that you, pre-lockdown, were looking at you know strategies to continue to improve our communications some of the key messaging that needs to be going out there. Uh, and you've mentioned ambassadors as far as city council staff are concerned. Businesses from our city are those ambassadors as well. What are the sort of key messages you'd like to see us uh, giving to people uh, when we're chatting away uh, and we're doing our multi-million pound deals with, uh, with people in London and elsewhere? I think it's really simple, Frank. And it, for me, there's about three or four key messages that we need to land. So one, we're not a needy city. And I think those people who don't get us and have never visited our city, I've got all these memories of the 80s. And I think you and I, Frank, we've talked about television in the 80s just didn't help, did it? There was a lot of kind of cliche telly around that was all about, oh, scousers on the scrounge or scousers out of work. It's not who we are. It's not what we've ever been about, actually. And, you know, in my small way, when I was based in London full time, I was always kind of, you know, go and visit. Go and see what great people we've got. Go and see what great lifestyles actually people lead. You know, there's very few great cities that are so close to some beautiful beaches and, and all that, that beautiful stuff that we've got around us. You know, if you're in London, it takes a while to get to a beach. If you're in Liverpool, it doesn't. So there's a, there's a lot going for us. I would say um, take a look at the economic report that we sent into government. So again, we were really, really proud of this. So we put together a 178-page document. It wasn't Liverpool City Council, it was Liverpool. So all of the anchor institutions of Liverpool got together. And in essence, that report to government was saying, we have got some brilliant schemes that are good to go. And the phrase that everyone likes to use is shovel ready. And, and that says what it 
what it says, doesn't it? It's basically we're good to go on these projects. What we need right now is a little bit of confidence from the central government and a little bit of financial support. But we have got some great initiatives in this city that we don't want to be derailed. Um, nowhere else has got a knowledge quarter. Nobody else has got the northern branch of the Royal College of Physicians coming to their city. Nobody else has got this thriving art sector that we've got. Nobody else has got this real creative lifeblood that's flowing through everything we've done since 2008. So we've got a lot going for us. I would ask people, please don't say we're a needy city or a needy region, because we're not. We're full of entrepreneurs and, and great creative people. We've got ideas, we've got vision. We know what's required for our community. Work with us. We need a little bit of support. We are a city that's been hit hard, 10 years of austerity. We don't see that changing anytime soon. Um, and I think anyone can see the way that, that the political situation is moving. That isn't going to be resolved right now, is it? So we know that we are facing financial challenges, but what we have to do is, is seize that entrepreneurial spirit. And all of these projects that we've got waiting to go, this is the moment to prove to government that you know we can deliver the apprenticeships, we can deliver the construction jobs, and therefore the trickle down that you get across the economy. Let's also think about those knowledge rich jobs. That is a huge um, moment for our city, which is also gonna change the direction of travel. We are at the point now of rivaling Cambridge when it comes to our life sciences expertise. And I would say to you, you know, when you're dealing with your stakeholders and your contacts, please let them know that. Um, I was at a, a meeting in London before lockdown where I was telling them about the knowledge quarter and these people who, who work in, in Whitehall did not know about it and were really surprised at what I was telling them. So I think some of those old ideas about what Liverpool is and what it stands for still exist. And it's up to all of us who love the place just to challenge that and actually just tell them what's going on. Um, and we can write a list for you of all the great projects. And if you've got the time, please look up the report. It is all out there. It is publicly accessible. And you can see the, the great plans that we've got for the city. And it's great that you know, the challenges that we've all struggled with to see Liverpool at the forefront of so many of these things. So I think we were the first city to get that recovery plan report into government. Um, I'm delighted when I go onto calls now to see the Without Walls initiative being referenced right across the country and saying how well we've been able to implement that. Uh, and as I say, it's nice uh, for Liverpool to be at the forefront in those positive ways, uh, in those conversations that are happening as, right across the country. Not to, So this isn't just Liverpool patting itself on the back. These are other people saying to me, wow, your city's done a great job uh, and we're actually looking at some of the things that are happening there and trying to transfer them into places like Leeds, Birmingham, Manchester. So that's been great for, for me to see. It's been a positive out of, uh, out of a difficult time. But I've just reminded people, if you want to ask Camilla a question, you're part of our audience today, just type it into the chat room. Uh, I'm going to be turning to your questions in a second. We've already had an interesting one from Rachel Bampton Aiken. Um, which uh, yeah, I'll be interested to hear your answer to that as well. Um, but before I, I do that, I just wanted to move uh, slightly back into the um, situation of your experience uh, on the television and your sort of national uh, view that you had. Uh, and I, listen, you'll have you'll have met some people who are wonderful communicators, and of course, come across marketing campaigns 
uh, and I'm particularly interested, I suppose, in either political or business leaders who you've met in your past life, who you thought, wow, you know, you're able to get that messaging and that marketing uh, campaign out there in a way that, that's just A1, you know, lessons that perhaps you were able to learn from some key organisations or people over those years. The, the main thread that, that kind of runs through all the campaigns that I thought worked and delivered is about being authentic. It's about being genuine, isn't it? And I think we can all see through campaigns that, that are just spin and that don't really have reality at their core. I think people are much more savvy than they used to be. And I think for me, if you can get um, real people, as we say in the trade, ordinary folk actually telling the story, it is much more authentic. Um, than actually always putting up the key figurehead. Um, and I think for me, it's about thinking about your, your local community and the placemakers in your community. And sometimes the placemakers are those characters that you might just see on your daily walk around the block. You know, it is the people who, who you know, sort out the bins for us. It is the people that keep our parks nice and tidy. It is that lollipop lady that you might see when you're dropping the kids off at school. Those are the people that make a place. And I think if you can give those people a voice, then your campaign really sings. I think COVID again has fast tracked all of that. And I know Frank, you all have been reading probably some of the same stuff that I've been reading. There are some brands now that are coming out of this period of the pandemic in a much more robust place than others. And those that kind of really stuck to their core principles are the ones that are winning through. And those that are the ones that kind of threw in gimmicks um, are those that have actually lost a lot of custom. And I think because we've all been through quite tough times recently, we all get the kind of buy local and um, supply chains. And we all sort of understand that there are lots of people in cogs now and where we can support our communities and creative enterprises and, and smaller setups. I think that's where a lot of us are now spending our money. But for me, it's about whatever you put your name to or whatever you put your company's name to, it's got to be authentic. And I think we can all think of, of campaigns that have just gone terribly wrong and they never, they never are able to move from that. So the brand is always tarnished. And that, that for me, sometimes the purest art is the simplest art, isn't it? And sometimes the gimmicks get in the way of a really straightforward message. And you've just mentioned something there that I did want to pick up with you because, again, we, we talked briefly about this in the past. Uh, that authenticity... Uh, and those things that make a place special. You've been really key uh, to get initiatives that are going on in the city involved with your communication platforms. And you've been great, I think, in terms of reaching out to other stakeholders and saying, use our platform to tell people how good you are. Uh, and there will be businesses who watch this, who I know you were welcome hearing from if they've got some unique proposition, if they've had a, a big success because we want to be shouting about those things as a city don't we and as I say you and your team have been great in terms of supporting that sort of initiative. Thank you Frank I really appreciate that. You know what at heart I'm a storyteller and if I've got no stories to tell then what's the point of me doing my job and for me it's not always about council news some council news is really really important and it informs people and, and we need to put it out there but for me it's about what are the stories we've got on our city because actually, if, it, if there's a good story, that's going to affect your life, Frank. It's going to affect my life. It's going to affect LCC. It's going to affect the other anchor institutions. So it's about just thinking, stepping out of your own framework and thinking, 
we're in the city, we live here, we choose to live here, we choose to work here because we love it so much. So let's all just kind of talk together and speak up and, and just be a bit more collegiate in what we do. And you know what, there's also that flip side. So if we've got an issue, if there is something that's negative and something that's not working, we've all got to grip that and we've all got to acknowledge that and we've all got to step up a bit. So when I joined the council um, January last year, you know, there were a few raised eyebrows because they were saying, well, you're putting this stuff on your platforms, but it's not related to the council. Yeah, but it's related to Liverpool and therefore we're an anchor institution and you are too, so it is about us, it all really matters. Um, and I know that our chief constable, for example, you know, is a, is a very good friend of the city and obviously a very good friend of Liverpool City Council. And he always talks about, you know, there's an issue that you might think is only a police issue, but actually that's got ripples for everything else. So if you've got antisocial behaviour in a particular community, that's going to be affecting those families. That might lead to mental health issues or other problems for that, that small community. But it also might have a knock-on for Liverpool City Council because it might mean that, you know, we might have to send social workers in there to support them. It might lead to a knock-on effect for the children's schooling that are affected. You can see how it, one problem becomes everybody's problem. Equally, one success story is all our success story. So what I've done, just for those who don't know, is we've set up lots of platforms. And as Frank said, look, if you've got some, some content or some stuff that you want us to share, let us know. Um, you know, of course, we can't do things that are advertorial or, or promoting. We can't do anything that is politically driven. But, you know, we have got so many great stories that aren't any of those, that are just about real people doing some great stuff for our community. Um, so, you know, we do everything from blogs to podcasts to videos to socials. The other thing that we can do, which I think people forget, actually, is we've got a really top team who know the media and know the media really well. So you might have a great initiative and a great enterprise. And actually, regionally, we know about that. But you want to hit the national opinion formers. And then what we can do is give you a bit of advice about how to do that, how to, how to land that story in the national press. Sometimes we want to hit the international press um, and we can advise and support you on that as well. And we've, we've spoken a lot about COVID, haven't we, Frank? But we've also got to think about Brexit. And, you know, I think for our city, that's going to be another moment where we have to do things differently. Um, and, you know, our global international pedigree is going to become even more important after December this year. So, again, that's why we need to think sometimes let's step out of our local bubble and think about how do we want to present ourselves nationally, but also internationally. Yeah, we got through nearly an hour without the B word, didn't we? But it's uh, rightly you've raised it because it's, I think, over the next few months going to be back in the headlines again. Um, right, two questions uh, I, I'm going to put to you because I'm conscious of the time and I do want our audience to have the opportunity of, uh, of getting involved. Um, this one's from Rachel. I said, love this question. Uh, how hard is it to balance the story and communications from the city uh, when our politicians have a habit of going freestyle on Twitter? And, and listen, you're not the only communications director who has this, this challenge, but it must be a challenge. It can be. It can be. You're absolutely right, Rachel. It's, it's a balancing on that one sometimes. And I think what you've got to realise is that everybody's got an opportunity now to use social media and, and some of our politicians have got their own social media channels. Again, I'm going to sort of be positive on this. I'm going to think that a lot of people understand the difference between a Liverpool City Council channel and a channel that is manned by an individual, which is probably going to have some political threads to it, which, which my content doesn't. Um, 
to, because a politician speaks out, doesn't necessarily mean it's the view of, of LCC. Sometimes it might be. Um, there are days when when that, that conflict happens really still, and it's it's about having honest conversations with people. Um, and it's, it's trying to, we try and be that honest broker in between. And, you know, sometimes it's about, okay, you're absolutely right to have that opinion and, and say what you want to say, but you've got to make it clear it's your personal opinion or it's your political opinion. Um, and it's just finding that distinction between what is Liverpool City Council and what is a particular political colour. Um, and we do try and keep that blue water quite wide and deep. Sometimes it gets a little bit to be a bit of a trickle, but um, those days, Rachel, are far and few between, I have to say. <laughs> well answered, Camilla. And uh, we'll move on. Uh, but thanks for your question, Rachel. Uh, and this one's from uh, Richard Lackey. A very interesting interview. From a comms perspective, how do you plan getting your stories out there and heard when we are seeing big cuts hit in newsrooms locally? We, we touched on that earlier, of course. And what's the most interesting story that you've ever worked on? Ah, interesting. Thank you. Well, to be honest, Richard, um, I'm not going to say I had a crystal ball back in January, but one of the things that I wanted to do with my team was to make it clear that we were also a broadcast channel. And before I joined Liverpool City Council, we actually weren't that. Um, we were a great comms team that provided a lot of support to the local press. But I really wanted us to be putting out content. And um, a lot of the content is clearly generated by activity and objectives from the City Council. So if we're not going to be talking about that, you know, I feel that's a fail. So that was one of the reasons why last year I spent a lot of time setting up these platforms and growing that reach and growing that audience. And in part, sadly, it is because some of our local press are not in the rudest of health. Um, and for me, the, the communities and our people in our city have got to be at the heart of what we do. And I want them, if they choose to follow our channels, to be able to get a very rounded perspective on everything that's happening in our city. So that's how I hope to get our stories out there. Um, had a little mention of it with Frank earlier. You know, everybody actually is a storyteller. And as I said, our organisation's got 5,000 people. So one of the big planks for us is if those people are talking about what we're doing and, and what's happening in the city, that's 5,000 other extra voices that are pushing out that same comms. We're all comms people actually at heart. So it's just about finding different ways, Richard. And I think social media is, is quite key to that. Also, face-to-face -face engagement is really important. Um, getting together groups at local level is, is really key. Can't do that at the moment because of COVID, but we hope that's going to change in the next few months. And then the, the next little bit about the most interesting story I've worked on, gosh, that is, that's really hard, really, really hard. I'm not going to be able to narrow it down to one, Richard, but I've worked on some really, really big moments. So um, we think back to the conflict in Syria, which, which is still going on, um, and there are still people losing their lives on a daily basis. Um, I feel very proud of the, the small contribution I made um, when I was helping to craft and, and shape some of this amazing footage that um, teams out in the field were delivering. Um, when you think back to Nelson Mandela's funeral, that was, that was quite a moment. And, and to be part of a, a chain of people who were working on that story was, was also a moment. Um, being in the hot seat for the Scottish referendum, you know, a once in a lifetime vote, that, that was also a, a huge moment for me. Um, also the Brexit referendum, um, and I remember going to the newsroom at 4.30 that morning, um, I was at ITV at that time, and ITV was the first to call that that was the way the vote was going to go. And I think it took everybody by surprise, certainly a lot of people in the 
media by surprise, which has opened up all those questions about how in touch is the media really. So that was another big moment for me. Um, I think one of the, the great sadnesses of, of being a journalist is you get close up to some really distressing stories. So um, obviously I was, was part of the, the, the coverage and the, the creation of content around the terror attacks that we had in London and that we had in Manchester. Those take the toll on, on individuals working on those. They're, they're really tough. Um, and I was also the person that was in charge of News at 10 when we did our Brentwell Tower coverage. Um, and that's hard. You know, you're a human being and you're dealing with tragedy that is unfolding before your very eyes. Um, and there were some, some really extraordinary images that are seared on my brain forever that were coming into the newsroom. And you can imagine a, a newsroom of, of loud and, and confident characters. We were stunned. And um, I'm, I'm sorry to bring the tone down, but you know, we were looking at images of people at their windows and we knew those people were not going to come out alive. And that, that is tough, that is hard. Um, and it's, it sounds quite perverse to say, but you know, my programme was nominated for a BAFTA award for that coverage. And it was a very bittersweet moment because there were so many people who lost their lives and a community that was absolutely devastated. And it was a very tough moment for our nation, wasn't it? When we realised that in the richest borough in the UK, that we had people living in, in very difficult circumstances. So Richard, thank you for that question. Um, it was a very rich part of my career. Um, and I think for, for all of us who, who do very different jobs, you learn a lot from the job that you do, don't you? And um, I came away from my days as a journalist, quite a changed character, but I think for the better. And um, I think COVID has made us realize that you count your blessings. And I yeah. think for us, you know, being able to go to bed at night and, and wake up safely the next day is something that we don't often think about, do we? And for all of those people that didn't happen for them so i would potentially say richard probably grenfell was the one that had the most impact on me Camilla, thanks very much for for being uh, as as open transparent uh, with us this afternoon as you have been it's been an absolute pleasure uh, i'm sure all those watching will uh, like me feel um, that our city has uh, its communications in great hands and certainly as i say over the last 18 months I think we've all recognised it's come on leaps and bounds in terms of the improvements that have been made. Uh, and you've stepped up to some remarkable challenges, some that I'm sure uh, you expected, uh, but some like all of us over the past uh, few months in particular that nobody could have foresaw. Thanks very much, as I say, for being with us, Camilla. Hope you've enjoyed the chat as much as we have. I have. Thank you so much, Frank. I mean, we've wanted to chat for a little while, haven't we? And COVID got in the way and, and life got in the way. Thank you so much for, for giving me the opportunity to chat to you. It's been absolutely fantastic. Brilliant. And as I say, we, we hope to get you to a, to a live event very soon. Uh, we are starting our live events programme uh, in August because uh, we want to show a, a bit of leadership in terms of getting people back into our cities. Uh, they will be invitation only uh, events at this stage for reasons that I'm sure all of you out there will understand. Uh, but again, just in terms of you know the support that we're getting, uh, then Tony Reeves uh, has agreed to do our first live event on the 4th of August. Uh, I think a further demonstration that Liverpool City Council are doing what it can at a leadership level uh, to support us uh, and the wider business community. Great to see you today, Camilla. Great uh, to see so many joining the call today as well. Hopefully see you, as I say, in the flesh in the not too distant future. Thank you so much, Frank. Cheers, guys. Bye now.
Bye.